Hello, Stitchers. Welcome to Stitch Please, the official podcast of Black Women Stitch, the sewing group where Black Lives Matter. I'm your host, Lisa Woolfork. I'm a fourth generation sewing enthusiast with more than 20 years of sewing experience. I am looking forward to today's conversation. So sit back, relax, and get ready to get your stitch together. Hello, everybody. We are here. I am Lisa with Black Women Stitch. And as I say every week, this is a very special episode because this episode is what happens when you happen to be at VCU, which is Virginia Commonwealth University, for those who don't know. It is a university here in Richmond, Virginia, about an hour from where I am. And what had happened was I was at a podcasting conference. I was at the Resonate podcast conference that was hosted by the ICA at VCU. And this amazing contemporary art center is a fantastic and beautiful building. It was so nice, y'all. You know, I'm not really an outside, outside person yet, but it was a nice foray into the outside. And I really enjoyed learning about podcasting. But what I also really enjoyed learning was there was this young woman behind the bar. They had a bar, not a bar bar. They had a bar with like snacks and water and refreshment in this lovely bookstore that I bought three books for. And I just got to talking with her because, you know, if you know me, I'm a black woman. When I see black women other places, I speak. I speak to all black people. Pretty much. I'd say 99 percent of the time I speak to any black person I find. And this young black woman, I'm thinking, okay, she must be a student here because and this is an art school. So I bet she is really creative. Let me see. Come to find out, I was talking to none other than Amina Coleman Davis, y'all, who has joined us here today for the Stitch Please podcast at my special request. We were just chit-chatting, just a little chit-chat. Hey, how you doing? La la la. She proceeds to tell me about her project that's about weaving and textiles and using Black women's hair. And this is all part of a larger vision of liberation and interdependence. And I was just like, you are singing my life with your words right now. You are doing exactly what I think is put work in the lives of Black women creatives globally and across time. So please say more, but say it on my podcast. So welcome so much, Amina Coleman Davis. Thank you for being here today. Yes, thank you for having me. This is like surreal. Oh my gosh, that I'm even here right now. That I'm even doing what I'm doing. Like they say everything happens when it's supposed to, you know. Well, I am incredibly grateful. We are very grateful to you. And we're excited because I have familiarity with higher education through the kind of standard traditional educational model of what a four-year college might be. But I have a very blurry understanding of the lives of an art school or a design school. And so I'm really excited to talk about your life as someone who is about to graduate from school about to complete this four-year journey, but I want to start backward at some of your earliest days of creativity. And you explained that you have some background with sewing some of your earliest memories about your grandmother, Corrine Davis or Wowo, I think you all called her for the work that she would do for you all. Just tell us a bit about your sewing background as you see it. What has influenced you to get to this stage? Yes, yes. It was just the vivid memories of comfort and like tender love and moments of connection with her, helping her thread the needle, always having access to little scraps of fabric and, you know, have a little fashion show. She was always very encouraging of any type of expression or art. And I was the only child. 
<clears throat> my older brother was 10 years older than me and into sports. So he was around, but we weren't really like that bonded. So I was in my own little artsy world of doodles. And I also picked up on crochet really early. Oh, cool. Some like erratic moments here. And my grandmother mainly raised me and my parents were in and out of my life. And there are moments my mother would take me with her. She was like a home nurse and she would take me with her. And one of her cases, I guess, she was an older woman that could crochet. And one day yes. I just sat, watched her, and I figured it out. And my grandmother went and got me some books from Michael's, got me some yarn, even got me some hooks to give me to try knitting, like all of that. So from a very early age, that comfort and that curiosity and my support of that curiosity has always been there. So when you first saw your mother's patient crocheting, you said you sat and watched her and just figured it out. So did she teach you, this person teach you, or is this, was this your own ingenuity? Because it sounds like you watched and you were like, I want to do that. What hooked you about that? I watched and she kind of tried to teach me, but I got frustrated. And I more or less picked up on the technique on my own, like just sitting and reading and trying it out. And I'm 21. So like I had the internet, yes. I was watching YouTube videos, figuring things yes. out. So I definitely like figured it out more on my own. And I dropped it for a while and then came back to it in high school, full speed. I was like making little sweaters for my dog and doing very functional, small projects. And I think what I really appreciate about your story is that you had this context of your grandmother like supporting you, like, you know, hey, she wants to do something creative. I'm going to see what I can do to make it happen. Does she need books? Does she need yarn? Does she need hooks? What does she need? Because once she gets her mind around an idea, then you just kind of can plow forward with it. And that's really exciting. I want to turn to some of your high school days because I think the high school years for yourself now as someone who's about to complete another four-year educational journey, I'm really curious about how you grew as an artist and how you started to develop some of the foundations for your art practice in high school. And I wonder if you think the big chop that you did for your hair was a big factor in that transition or that growth for you? Oh, for sure. And I also was luckily privileged and like blessed enough that I got into the Center for the Arts at Henrico High School. So all four okay. years of that, I was basically like in an arts university. We we're doing fundamentals, doing stylized. We didn't have models come in. We had sketchbooks. We had to write about our ideas. We were doing many artist statements. We had artists come and visit us. We even had like people do clay workshops. Studio 23 came in to like a printmaking workshop. So I definitely was lucky enough to have access. Once again, more support and information. I was just going emotional nature of the big chop, taking my autonomy back in that moment because I was afraid. Having long hair was always like a thing. Like my brother was the one that like had the long hair throughout my life. He always had like yes. cornrows on his neck or whatever. And I was always yes. kind of struggling. I didn't really like getting my hair done. It hurt getting it done by other people. It was really yes. thick and dead. I took the time or the patience or proper care for it. Relaxed it. Didn't take care of it. It broke off to my chin. Transitioning through, once again, YouTube and learn how to take better care of it. And also just how expensive it was to get my hair done. Yeah, I regained a whole bunch of autonomy. And I actually learned about my hair as a material, which became really interesting. And like yes. I would say that is what began the overlap of it becoming like an art thing and not just being this thing on my head. I'm sure we might get to it when we start talking about your thesis project. But there's a way in which that Black women's hair especially becomes so politically loaded because of the ways in which it so adversely can impact our lives. The fact that we have something called the Crown Act that's only been passed in 18 of 50 states. And the Crown Act is designed to bar discrimination for Black women so that we can wear our natural hair at work and not get fired. It's so powerful. 
The reason I mention it is because you saw it as a playground. It seems like in 2015, that sophomore year of high school, when you started to really get into the research of YouTube on all the things that you could do with your hair. Can you talk a bit about that kind of flexibility and how that gave you a sense of, as you just said, autonomy, the sense that you can kind of control this important aspect of your life? Yeah, it honestly goes far back, I guess, like gender identity, because like growing up as a kid, the women I was around and raised by weren't really traditionally feminine. I was raised that way. I would just have like, you know, my slick backs. Like I wasn't very like frilly. I was like a tomboy, I guess you could say. Being able to like kind of rather than being like, oh, people saying it like go out in public with my grandma and they're like, oh, you have such a handsome grandson. And I'm like, I'm a little girl. People ask me, are you a boy or a girl? Like stuff like that. Being able to like yes. control it, be empowered by that, this kind of androgynous state that I can manipulate. Yes. Like I'm definitely, yes. I'm finding myself. That's like the best way to explain it. Cause like, I don't really know where I'm at in any of that. It's definitely cool to experiment. This, yes, do with of like course. Outward appearance to translate how you're feeling with that. Absolutely. And the thing is that you don't have to answer that question for anybody but yourself. You are the question. This is you. And whatever feels right and whatever, as you start to grow and develop and engage in your own particular art practice and your own art journey, you're going to continue to discover and uncover parts of who you are. And I am just so excited for that because you are just getting started, even as you finish up something that is so big. I really am excited to hear that you got great preparation in high school because you were fortunate enough to attend this program at Henrico, was it Henrico High School? They had a School of the Arts program within the school. And so you got trained in some way. So when you came to art college, art university, you were like, oh, I know what a portfolio is. I know what studio is. So tell us a bit about how that time prepared you for doing this at the advanced stage. Oh, for sure. High school was my undergrad and now I'm in my graduate program because it went so deep as we even had like a couple of exhibitions per year. Our senior show was at art space in the city. They were really trying to like help us. And they even had representatives from different colleges come in and tell us about their programs. Like they really wanted us to be like amazing little artists. And outside of just like visual arts, the program offered uh, musical theater, regular theater and dance. So there'd be some times we would go visit wow. the other class or see what they were doing, or we would have like little interdisciplinary moments because we're all in the same class, the same friend group. So we have something called AFO, Art Foundations, the first year, all like art expression okay. after you get where you actually declare your major. AFO is you do time, space, surface, and drawing. Time, space, surface, and drawing. What does time mean? It's time-based media. So anything that's basically in the fourth dimension, as they call it, did a lot of rotoscoping, video work, sound work. It was very experimental and very technology-based. It was really okay, cool. Okay, so that's time. And then what's the second thing? Space. And so what is a spatially oriented artwork? What is that? It's anything 3D. Sculptures. We did a wooden sculpture that made your body into a shape. That was my project. But every teacher wow. has like a project and you learn how to measure things, how to scale things up from a sketch, how to translate aspects. Basically, it was try like it was a program. Each of the programs was trying to help us figure out our interests so that we could declare a major. And so you did AFO. What really kind of spoke to you of the four different concentrations that you had there? Did one speak to you more than the others or was the point to like learn to do them all together to hold them all together at the same time? For me, it was the balance of discipline and I guess experimentation. Because in high school, things were a lot more strict and you have to do this with this material in these colors. 
Whereas in college, okay. I would do what I want. Like, even if I got an assignment, I would make it what I want. I would tell my teachers, like, I'm doing this instead. Like, once again, it was always supported because, you know, I'm going to follow through. I'm going to do something fun and kooky with it. So yes. it was great. I won a couple of awards freshman year just for being phenomenally just experimentational and awesome and doing really big, cool things. I learned how to dance. I made an animation. I did a lot wow. freshman year. It was so fun. Some people will, like, hate AFO and they're miserable by it, but I loved it. Do they hate it because they feel like they're being forced to do things that they're not interested in? Because sometimes I know some folks feel that way about introductory classes. Like, oh, why are you telling me this? I'm not interested in that. I came here to do B. Why are you teaching me about A? You know, and like, well, if you do A, then you could get to B. Is it that kind of tension? Oh, for sure. A lot of people come to VCU expecting, I guess, old fashioned. You have to sit and draw still life and like that type of training. Because like, mm -hmm. I feel like that's what idea of our school is and we'll get more into it i'm learning yes. even that our school is definitely a lot more open and interdisciplinary now okay. all of my friends did not like the program that was their main complaint they felt like i'm doing all of this and i'm not actually learning what i want to learn it was just really frustrating for them or what's overwhelming mm. for them that structure and being allowed or just being asked to like build a giant structure out of cardboard and paint it in three weeks in your dorm. A lot of people thrust into very ambitious things. Oh, so for some folks, they're like, oh, well, I'm not learning what I want to learn. So I'm out. Or this is also really overwhelming. The thing that I think I can do, but I can't yet do because I need to be a bit more patient with myself, perhaps. And so I do think you're right, of course, that there are lots of ways that introductory classes for your friends that you're describing, they challenge you. They absolutely challenge you. Sometimes they challenge your ability to be bored because it's like, I just have to sit here and get through this. I mean, I'm saying as someone who also sat through a lot of introductory classes that had nothing to do with what I wanted to do when I grew up. Sometimes it's nice to have those in your back pocket. Now that you have these skills or the things that you know to do, you can use them to help make what you want to do even better. And that's what I think you have actually done. So what about the APO class do you imagine still shows up in some of the work that you're doing today? Or is that really in your rearview mirror now that you have arrived at your fourth year? Is there anything from your first year and from that course that's just like, you know, I guess I am glad that I learned how to do this particular thing for, you know, printmaking or whatever. Well, I guess something from like, freshman year that really stuck with me was my teachers encouraging me to make more or make a different version because I used to complete projects really quickly because I was really excited and enthusiastic and instead of yes. being like oh wait out there like use that energy use that momentum oh you don't like this one do it again you're allowed to do it again you're allowed to paint over this getting just a lot less precious or getting that permission to just try it again I didn't realize I was holding myself back from successful ideas or like just cool weird ideas by just not allowing myself to repeat something. There's artists whose whole practice is doing one thing for their whole life. Wow. Like painting the same apple? Yeah. Or like... Over and over again? I do my scribble with love stick tangent. I have like a little marker drawing series. I just loosely draw some old yes, family photos. Yes, yes, When I don't like composition, I don't like the colors, or I'm like, oh, I wish this color was next to that one, I draw it again. There's some that I've drawn like five times to get one composition that I like show the world. But there's a lot of paintings that the world does not see. A lot of little swatches of things the world does not see. So, yeah, you're allowed to repeat. What I appreciate about what you're saying, Amina, and maybe what your teachers or what your professors have unlocked in you that are, it's also valuable for everyone to know is that somehow done is not the goal. Like sometimes art is like never done. And art is not a product. 
It is a yeah. practice. That part. You know, I'll try to. right. I tend to be like a high energy person and I do something and I've done it. And I'm just like, whoo, praise Lord, because I did the thing. It's done. I can walk away from it. It's finished. But if it's art, you know, you're never going to be finished. So the idea that you would finish something and be done with it and you're like, yes, yes, yes. And your professors are like, do it again. And your professors are like, do it again. And you're like, wait a minute. Why should I do it again when I'm done? I'm done. I'm done. And do you think that part of the art process itself is that repetition, is the fact that the goal is not to finish, but something else? If it's not to finish, what else would there be? Yes. This is a question I talk about with my fellow like abstract painters, because I make a lot of textile work, will paint and have a lot of like historical whatever towards that. Yes, yes. It would talk about sometimes, oh, how do you know when a work is finished or like before you overworked it? For me, it's all about feel. When did you get the work to feel a certain way? That's like my way of thinking about it. Work goes beyond the tangible. Yes. So to make something that exudes that, you have to put that into it. You have to be very sensitive and subtle. And I don't think that's something that can be calculated personally. I think the idea of the calculation I think that that's something that can't be calculated because it's not meant to be a work in that way. Art is not a task. A task is something that you like, Okay, I will make the bed. And once the bed is made, I know the bed is done because I'm looking at it and it looks made. I've completed that task. But you can't say I'm going to make a painting when I've completed that task of making the painting, then the painting will be done. It doesn't have that because it seems to me art is always about opening, about opening people up to new ideas, opening itself up to challenge and revision and rewriting, that that energy is kind of latent in the works themselves. I don't know. I just find that just so exciting and so ingenious. The back stitch is a reinforcing stitch, sewn by hand or stitched by machine. The back stitch is a return with a purpose. On the Stitch Please podcast, our new back stitch series will recall early and or favorite episodes of the podcast. And the best news? It's hosted by you. Yes, you. Thank you, you. Do you have a favorite Stitch Please podcast episode? Let us know by leaving a voice memo on our website. Five minutes max. Let us know what episodes you love and why other people will love it too. And if we use your message on the show, you will receive an honoraria. So remember, the backstitch makes us seem stronger. Leave us a message so that your contribution can make the Stitch Please podcast that much stronger. You can find the link at the blackwomenstitch.org website or just click on it in the show notes for this episode. What I'm excited to hear about, and if we can pivot to this, is to talk about the work that you shared with me that you're working on now for your big project. Can you talk a little bit about it? Like, what's it called? And tell us what made you think of it in the first place, because it's a really compelling idea. Yeah, we're talking about the weave things, right? The weaving. Yes, the weave things. Yes. Weave things. Yes. Spelled like hair weave, flights of parentheses and things. Yeah, so yes. this started as a result of me being goofy in my intro to textiles class a couple of years ago. I was weaving on literally this. There we go. That's perfect. Right there. It's perfect. Thank you. The old canvas. Took the canvas yes. off, put some like marks to be like inches on it and just yes. warped it up 
But I do some of them. I have a couple bigger ones. I'm working on getting my uncle to make a really big one. I want to make. <gasps> oh, that'll be nice. Oh my gosh! Please do. This is my little fork I use. Beat the yes. yarn down. Yes, yes. But yeah, I was sitting in class, right? And I was also taking an art history class with Bubba Tuning a while that was about indigenous African art history practices. And we were talking yes. about, I think, the Kuba cloth and like the improvisations and like. Yes. The overlap of like, you know, jazz and music and body and spirit and like Africanisms. I was just really feeling everything, right? And I was like, weaving, weavings, like weavings. So I went home and I did it, thought it was hilarious. Actually, I have a couple if you want to see them. Yes, please. We absolutely want to see them. Y'all, this is one of the reasons why you should be a Patreon supporter because you get to see the lovely Amina who is now climbing up on furniture so that she can hopefully very safely retrieve some weavings that she did. And she's talking about weavings, W-E-A-V-E, like hair weave. And she puts those in parenthesis and then I-N-G-S next to it. So it's talking about, oh my, oh my. This is tender headed. Oh my gosh. Which award did it win? She won like second place, best in show. And Crossroads Art Center, they had like a Black History Month show at Main Street Station. It was awesome. It was so good. Oh, yeah, she won my the gosh. Second place, best in show. Congratulations, second place, best in show. Wow, wow. But so yeah. tell us about this piece. So this piece, those of you who aren't seeing it, what we're looking at is some weavings that combines braiding hair and synthetic hair. What's the horizontal? What's the warp pieces? Is the warp the horizontal and the weft is the vertical or is it the other way around? Yes, you got it. It's just hilarious how much language crosses over between weave and like doing this, learning how to felt and being like, oh, this is how you like interlock locks, the small stuff yes. like that. Yes, absolutely. But yeah, this is just like a bunch of acrylic yarn, the wavy okay. straighter or an old wig of my cousins that I cut up. And these are some like okay. old locks that were they used or unused? I don't remember. I use a mixture of used and unused hair. I always wash it, of course. But, you know, right. I try to be simple as I can. I can yes, use yes, yes. I'm just trying my hardest. Well, you're doing a wonderful job. And what I love about what you've described, it's kind of like the birth of this mode of production for you or this mode or practice for you was birthed in the African art class. You were learning about Kuba cloth. You were learning about these different indigenous African practices. And then you were like, wait a minute. Huh? What's this on top of my head? That's interesting. So what made you put those two things together? I think you might have said silly or something like that. I'm not sure what word you used to describe it. And I'm like, that's a funny way to say inspired because it sounds like that's some straight inspiration right there. Like what clicked that for you? Honestly, humor. I thought it sounded funny. I've seen a few artists like do things with hair. They're usually really heavy and it carries a lot of like weight to it. Unlearning tries to bring some levity to all like the fine art. Yes. And try to bring back some fun into putting just stuff together. Yes. I have been doing a lot of reading around Kevin Quashie. Q-U-A-S-H-I-E. Kevin Quashie. He's a scholar. I don't know. I forgot where he is at the moment, but he has a couple of books with Duke University Press. And one of them is called that I love. It's called Black Aliveness. The Poetics of Black Aliveness. And in the book, he talks about it's not about aliveness as resistance. It's not about, you know, any resistance at all. It's about really sinking down into the deep, deep, rich humanity of Black life and affirming that it doesn't need to be extraordinary. It doesn't need to be award winning superlative. It just needs to be. It's all about just being. Being is enough. 
Just be. B-E, period, done, finish, start, done, it. And when you are looking at these pieces and creating these pieces, and you're like, this is not so much about oppression, nor is it about avoiding oppression. It's about, it seems like just being. And that we also get a chance to be joyful. We need more opportunities for levity. These are all the things that I see in the work that you've created. And it also seems like you're just kind of shaking off the expectations that comes with our hair. This idea that somehow it's meant to be a burden rather than a playground, you know, and you're like making it a playground. Oh, for sure. I think I just kind of got not tired, but I was just getting bummed out about always seeing just sadness and struggle, earnest, just pain like around our hair individually and like socially and I feel my art has always been like a reaction to outside things me trying to make something else for myself something oppositional whether that be joy anger whatever just trying to make something within myself that I can't get from the outside so I was just trying to explore and truly see what could happen if we take this material as it is and like yes, yes all of that undertones are important and relevant but just for a moment let's just look at it it's just extra scrap piece of something at the end of the day like when it's unattached from us it is and like yes. seeing artists Nastasia Swift like she is one of my favorite yes. people doing her thing right now like I love yes her. but seeing her like that <laughs> it hits so hard Yes, it absolutely does. It absolutely does. And I can definitely see that you are working in a similar vein. And the question of the power of just our daily lives being something that's just regular, degular, just regular, degular, breathing, being, existing. And so does our hair is just being and existing. And in that it is spectacular in that it's extraordinary. It's a very gorgeous object as well. If you take away like the fetishization of it and the negative connotations, all that quote unquote like bad stuff, it's gorgeous as a thing. It's so cool all the different things that it can do, the way that you can manipulate it. I've been considering making paintbrushes out of my hair, like doing stuff with that. Wow. You generate it. That's a whole other thing. You create this. My hair sheds every day, you know? That's true. Collecting it in a jar for about a year and a half. And like I use that painting. That's going to be like a whole other thing. It hasn't been fully realized, but a lot of really awesome stuff coming from just being appreciative, stepping back from the pain. It took me a while to appreciate my hair and Mm. like it, enjoy the process of working. It took a long time for that. I definitely did not grow up. Even washing my hair as a kid was a chore. Nobody took the patience, but finding the patience for myself to sit down with this material And my art practice in general is tremendous patience. Yeah. It's kind of like you are giving yourself that grace and generativeness that you didn't really have about your hair when you were little or when you were a kid, when it was more like, oh, now I got to do this. And here goes three hours of my day, you know, or three hours of somebody else's day because you couldn't do it yourself when you were a little, little kid, you know, and turning this into a space of just freedom of joy. And also I keep thinking like a lot of brushes are already made out of hair, right? A lot of brushes, paint brushes are made from animal hair or hides or some, all different types, the soft ones, hard ones, mediums or whatever. I'm wondering like natural black girl hair, what kind of art is that going to make? It's going to make some fire shit. That's what it's going to make. It's going to make something that's completely, I don't know. It just feels like the way that brush would look compared to all the other brushes. If, for example, you make a whole line of products, which you won't because I bet you're not interested in that. But if you did and we had all of the brushes at the regular store lined up and then we had yours, 
we would know which was yours versus which wasn't. It makes me think that that itself is a certain kind of artistic engagement, too, because it allows us to challenge and question the material resources we use to make art in the first place. Definitely. That right there. Fantastic. Yes. I think that's like a whole untapped thing. Because like I always like the idea of I'll give it back to you. Like if you want to be gross to me, I'll give it back to you. Um, I I thought I worked a while ago and it was just like an artist. She took out her hair, the pile of her dirty braids and like weave and Uh stuff. And she's like, now you can touch my hair. I was like, yes. This idea of like giving it back to them. Now you can touch my hair. Wow. Here you go. Now you can do things with it. Now you can oogle at it. Now you can like fiddle around. It's like, I don't know. It's very interesting to me, this repulsion, but also attraction that people have for black people, black hair specifically. Like even in class, mm. it was so interesting. I went with painting, right? In the corner of it is a chunk of hair. It's like my art signature. It's like a very concentrated chunk of hair. And one of my classmates wouldn't even go near it. He was like, no offense, no nothing. But he was like, hair just freaks me out. He was like, I love your work. Your work is amazing, but I can't do hair. And it was so interesting to me how having something detached from the body can cause a visceral reaction. For oh, some- well, that's absolutely true. Well, we know that's true. Shoot, you go to the buffet at the Whole Foods and you scoop up a thing of chili and somebody's hair is in there. You're like, the hell? Garbage. But that's it. It's so interesting to have it on a canvas and think about it as art. And also there are some people that do have a phobia about hair. It's called something. I don't know what it's called, but there's like a thing that people are afraid of hair, just like people are afraid of spiders. You know, it's the Mm -hmm. same kind of phobia. Now, I did see this. One of my friends made this really hilarious TikTok. And it was kind of like, if you're a natural hair girl, you understand. It looked like it was a spider, but it was really just a hair puff Mm -hmm. from combing out your hair. I mean, I've done that. I'm like, oh my gosh. Oh no, that's just my baby. That's some leftover braid hair or whatever, you know, something else. But it is about detaching it from the body, but it's not detached from culture. Right. And then once you take that and put it on a canvas, it becomes art. That then has reverberating effects, reverberating impacts. We talk a lot, for example, about texturism, which is the different types of hair textures that Black folks have. Everyone has different hair textures, but within the Black communities, within Black communities, the texture of your hair also has social weight, social significance. And so it makes me wonder, too, about the connection between textiles and texture. And I think that your project plays with that as well, right? In what way, when you're weaving in hair, you're also creating a textile out of this texture. I don't know, it just feels really, really rich. Have you had some sense of discovery or growth or revelations after you've done this work? You've embarked on this study for quite some time and now you are near the culmination point of it, at least for this phase. Is there anything you've learned or that's really surprised you in addition to like one of your colleagues being freaked out that you have hair as a signature? Well, number one, the main thing has been wanting to scale up because everything in my practice is just getting bigger, Everything's getting more grand and it's been very exciting. It's a little artist who makes big things and it's always kind of hilarious. I take a lot of pride in it. I love that. And yeah, so scaling up is number one. Number two is taking them out of the rectangle. I like the rectangle as a container. Mm. I think of it as, you know, those Mesopotamian tablets and those like registers of different things and like so like, but taking them into the round even or into just weird wonkily shapes I've been also thinking about wearables, textiles. Oh, I love that. 
know, hair suits or a giant masquerade suit. Lots of overlapping ideas kind of getting like flung around my mind in my studio. I've also started, you can see up in this corner up here, I've started, oh yeah, those are some more of the weavings over there. Oh yes, please show us. Oh my gosh, look y'all. Wow. Yeah. I think I've seen some of these pieces on your IG and on your website. For sure. Yeah. This though, I'm starting a new series called Swatch Proofs where I oh just take gosh. swatches of crochet yarn. I dip them in paint and slap them against paper and make like model prints. I think it's so fun. And they're just so really pretty. This one is like a granny square. I did another one up here that's just, oh, this is like miracle. This one up here is the first one. I've done okay. that one. Yes, yes. The white one with the black. Okay. For us, it's on our left side. Yep, yep. I'm looking right at it. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, that was the first in that series. Edition one of Swatch Proofs was taking that specific one, which I also used to make like six different paintings, taking that and slapping it against canvas. I made a couple of wow. paintings. Yeah, the paintings are a series called Soggy Matrix, which ties like a whole... Like I said, I'm very generative. I bounce things around all over the place. This is fantastic. It seems as though that art school, that VCU has kind of done for you what I hope university does or college does for anybody that goes there. And I tell my own students, I'm like, college here is not designed to help you be where you want to be, what you want to be. College, in my mind, is designed to help you become who you are, more of who you are, deeper version, louder version, more excited version, equipping you with all types of resources and possibilities and ideas. And it seems like you have grown as an artist, not just from your really excellent foundational training in high school through that program, but also here in Virginia, I'm saying here like you're in Charlottesville, but here at VCU. You have really flourished. Looking at your studio where you are right now, it's all around you. Do you ever look around and you're like, oh, I remember when I made that or I've come so far. Do you say things like that to yourself, I hope, nicely? Daily. I have so much Good. work. Sometimes like I bring other professors in here that like have been following me for a couple of years and they're like, take all your paintings and put them away so you don't see them and only look at your textiles. Or they'd be like, leave these three drawings out and then put everything else away so you can focus. Because I'm literally, I'm on my computer, my desktop. Y'all. Oh. It's like a big work and then a bunch on the wall. I love those two girls with the pink and the blue dress. That big one with the pink and the blue dress. I mean, I can't tell all of what it is because of the angles. But that is stunning. And they're saying, that's enough. That's enough of that painting. You're on textiles now, ma'am. Let us focus. I love her, though. Yeah, I make so much. I make so much. I'm working on some other yarn sculptures as well. Those are like in the yarn. corner. Do you want to show those? Yes, please. Let us see your yarn stuff because we want to yeah, see actual those. textile stuff. Yes. We want to see all of it. Oh, what? Well, these are me taking my really big crochet hook and I crochet like giant netty looking things and I dump wow. them in paint and and then they dry really weird. So I've just been playing around That's with like, they're really crunchy. beautiful. I'm yes. also like playing around with like dyeing canvas and then like cutting that into strips and then using that for my weavings. Yes. Oh, that's a lovely one, too. A lot of them. Like four. It feels like you're trapping air. It's really lovely, y'all. You're going to wish you had Patreon because this junk is so fire.
This is amazing, Amina. I am so grateful to you. Thank you so much for talking with us today. Well, before we go, I have to ask you our favorite question. The slogan of the Stitch Please podcast is we will help you get your stitch together. Amina, here you are in your final semester of university. You've been studying, you've been creating, you've been painting and weaving and stitching and all. What advice would you give to our listeners to help us get our stitch together? I would say... Number one, be nice to yourself. I'm sure you heard that from the world, but be nice to yourself is true. It helps. Never tell yourself no. Amazing advice I've got from my aunt that has like literally saved me from missing great opportunities. You are more equipped than I promise you think you are. You got this. And number three would be just apply what you know and be confident in what you know. If you do that consistently, something's going to happen. It's going to be good. That's how I'm living. I love that. Amina, tell us where we can find you. I will make sure that we have links to all of your things in the notes of this episode, y'all. So Amina's going to say where you can find her and then I'll be sure to add the notes. But tell us, where can we find you? Because we want to find you. Y'all can find me at my regular website, aminacolemandavis.com. That's like my portfolio, my blog and writing, some of my like history and professional stuff. And I also have an art Instagram, Savid Anima. We're going to write it down. It's Amina Davis backwards, but... Savid Anima. That's my art, my studio stuff, me daily, randomly being a 21-year-old in Richmond. Hit me up, y'all. I'm really nice and bubbly. We can hang out if you're local. <laughs> this is wonderful. It's been a really great time. I just want to say thank you so much, Amina, for being with us today. Thank you for making the time. Thank you for being patient with me. I'm sure Amina was like, what is up with this lady? I mean, she just keeps... <laughs> it's all good. The world is... A lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. We had such a great time. It was such a great time meeting you in that wonderful spot at the ICA. And so this has been a real treat. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Stitch, Please, the official podcast of Black Women Stitch, the sewing group where Black Lives Matter. We appreciate you joining us this week and every week for stories that center Black women, girls, and femmes in sewing. We invite you to join the Black Women Stitch Patreon community with giving levels beginning at $5 a month. Your contributions help us bring the Stitch Please podcast to you every week. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your support. And come back next week and we'll help you get your stitch together. 